If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 9. So folks, this is God's Word. Let's hear it and receive it. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who had called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates by day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who had spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. This is God's word. Today we're going to talk primarily about discouragement. Okay, discouragement. Discouragement is something that profoundly impacts our lives. Okay, discouragement can feel like there's a boulder chained to our necks and then thrown into the harbor, right, where we sink down. Discouragement, it's, that, it's like that cruise ship, right, that I think is still stationed here in San Diego for repairs. Maybe it's gone. It's gone. Well, so there it was out in open sea, right, this huge cruise ship. Right, it's supposed to be heaven on the water, right? And they completely lose power, and so there was no air conditioning. There was no, I mean, no. I mean, the food was awful. The, you know, everything got spoiled. I mean, there was just all this awful. And, and you have this cruise ship that's supposed to bring all of this life to people, enjoyment and pleasure, and yet it was just drifting aimlessly in the middle of nowhere. I mean, that's what discouragement does to us. I can say that for me personally, I think discouragement is the chief thing that keeps me from being the pastor, the husband, and the father that I think God's called me to be. Like nothing is more deflating or debilitating than discouragement. Right? Do you get discouraged? You know, discouragement attacks everybody. And this is Christians and non-Christians, right? We're all in the same boat here on this one. We all feel discouragement. Um, 
frustration and bitterness just go hand in hand with discouragement and frustration, it's almost a theme of life for so many people. You ask people how they're doing and more often than not, something will be brought up that is just speaking to the discouragement that, that people feel. And we get frustrated at work with family. We get frustrated with the pace of life. And it's interesting because sometimes we direct our discouragement toward God. Right? God, why did this happen? God, why did you do this to me? It's also often the discouragement's focused on the church. Right? Someone comes to church for the first time in a long time and they feel like nobody talked to them. Right? Here they are trying to make an effort. You know, maybe you know, they, they kind of work themselves up to go back to church and then they show up and they find out that people are unfriendly, they're discouraging, they're, uh, they're maybe they're judgmental. Right? And so you think about that. Discouragement gets hurled also at the church. And the question for us today is what do we do with it? What do you do with the discouragement that comes up in your life? How do you handle it? God has a solution for us. In our passage today, God gives us this comforting picture of a solution to discouragement. Okay, in a word, and generally speaking, God's answer is relationships. Okay, the answer to discouragement is relationships. We see that in our text because in verses 26 through 28, Barnabas shows us how to deal with our discouragement. And he shows us how God can use us to help relieve the discouragement of others. Okay? Now, this is important for us, especially with this resolution that we have, right? This resolution to love our neighbors, you know, this journey that's pointing us to Easter Sunday, we need to be convinced. Part of my goal for you in the month of February is that you get convinced that spiritual growth is easier when you include other people. Okay, that's your spiritual growth will be easier for you if you include other people. And Barnabas helps us to see this. And so we're going to see how relationships dispel our encouragement in three points today. So if you want to take notes, here are the three points. These are kind of longer than normal. So um, if you don't get them all now, I'll give them back to you when we come to them in the sermon. We're going to see first that discouragement is a darkness that happens to the best of people. Okay. It's a darkness that happens to the best of people. Second, discouragement's darkness passes with the rise of relationships. And then third, as the light of relationships rise, we share our light with others. Okay, that's what we're going to see today. And so first, discouragement is a darkness that happens to the best of people. We need a little bit of the context here before we see Barnabas. We've got to look first at Saul. Uh, verses 17 through 19 describe the baptism of Saul. Okay? He has just become a Christian. Okay? Two paragraphs earlier, uh, Saul had set out from Jerusalem. He left Jerusalem to go to Damascus to arrest Christians. Okay? He and the rest of the folks that were with him were looking to try to dispel and destroy Christianity. And so Paul left Jerusalem to arrest Christians, and on his way to stop Christianity, Paul had this encounter with Jesus. He met Jesus. He became convinced that Jesus was real. 
And then Jesus led him into the city of Damascus. He was struck blind and he went into the city now, not to arrest Christians, but as one of them. Now, this was a radical conversion. Okay, it was a radical conversion. It, so, it would be almost like, I mean, I guess for us in our cultural, the way we think, it would be almost like somebody from the Taliban becoming a Christian. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. That's the radical nature of Paul's conversion. And so God sends Ananias to baptize Saul. And God does that because that's what you do. When you become a Christian, the first thing that you do is you get baptized. You get baptized so that you can let the rest of the church know that you're part of the family and that you are following Jesus. And then right after that, in verse 20, it says, Immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. So he began to talk to other people about Jesus. He told them that Jesus is the Son of God, verse 20. That phrase, Son of God, it means really, it kind of means two things. It, it, the, the word Son of God was used to describe the, the office of the King of Israel in the Old Testament. If you look at Psalm 2, God says, I have set my King on my holy hill. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. And so Son of God was a phrase that was used to describe the office of the King of Israel. But it also took on more meaning. Because God personified himself in wisdom. And in some of the writings that were written after the Old Testament and before the New Testament, the term Son of God began to describe the personification of wisdom. And so for Jesus to be the Son of God, it means that Jesus is also God in the flesh. And Paul began to proclaim this. If you look in verse 22, it says that Saul, I uh, say Saul and Paul. If you don't know, Saul, he's Saul here, but he becomes Paul a little bit later on, the Apostle Paul that, um, well, we'll talk about what he did later. But you look in verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Christ, the Christ. Christ isn't his last name, okay? If you look up Jesus in the phone book, you don't look under the seas, okay? Christ was a title. And again, it meant that Jesus was the king of Israel. He was the anointed one who would be the savior of the world. Okay, and so to be the Christ meant that, that Jesus was the savior. And that's what Paul was saying. You know, and Paul, I mean, who better than to say, boy, you know what? Jesus can save anybody, even someone who had been trying to kill and actually had participated in the execution of his followers. And so Paul is just overwhelmed, and so immediately he begins sharing about Jesus. And things are going great, right? In verse 21, it says that the people were amazed. Right? Verse 22, he increased in strength. He was confounding the Jews, right? He was winning in debates. You know, as, as he, was, he was proving that Jesus was the Christ, but then things turned. Then things turned. Look at verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So for Saul, when Saul turned to Jesus, his own countrymen turned on him. And this is, this is what happens. There are times, again, even today, where this happens. You begin to follow Jesus and some of the people who know you, 
maybe, and they love you, but they don't necessarily love Jesus. They may turn on you. They may turn on you. And so we have here, there's a turn for Paul, but it was worth it. If you look at verse 25, it says, but his disciples took him by night. His disciples. After just a few days, Paul's testimony, or many days, had passed. Paul's testimony had given faith to others. People believed what he was saying. And there were people that were not just following Jesus, but would have called themselves the disciples of Paul. Or the disciples of Saul. Um, and so, so it was worth it. I mean, Paul was, was suffering here. All of a sudden now people are after his life. I mean, literally, they were looking to kill him. Paul wanted to kill Christians. And now he realizes that, you know, in a sense, it's almost like he's getting a little bit of a taste of his own medicine here. Um, and so for us, just an encouragement, don't let persecution keep you from sharing what God is doing in your life. Okay? Um, don't, don't get discouraged because God will use your testimony to bring people to faith. And so verse 25, Paul, Saul barely escapes with his life, right? They waited until it was dark. Evidently, you know, and the, the way these, the, the walls around the city worked, they had these, these walls that had gates, and there were people stationed outside the gate waiting for Paul. They were waiting to kill him, and so they said, we've got to do something else. Some people had houses that were built into the walls. You know, we see this even in the book of Judges, I think, with Rahab. She had a similar situation where one of the windows opened out. You, could, you, know, you had a nice outside-the-city view from your window. Well, evidently, one of Paul's friends had a house like that. They opened up the window. They lowered Paul out through a basket. He escapes with his life. And so Paul was rejected by his own people. So what started out well maybe didn't seem to turn out you know, that great. And uh, I think for us, the same, we get the same temptation, right? Especially when you begin to follow after Jesus. Um, and so uh, you just, you don't want to be surprised. You know, have, have you experienced discouragement? Sometimes it's from other people, but it's not always. Maybe you think, okay, I'm going to go back to church again for the first time. Maybe you're here and you've come back for the first time in a long time, Right? And it seems like stuff just sort of gets in the way, doesn't it? There's, it seems like you come up with every reason not to come to church. Or, or maybe you pick up the Bible for the first time in a long time and you're going to try to read it again. It just, it's discouraging because it seems frustrating. Right? I mean, things are difficult. I mean, discouragement is prevalent. It's easy for us to get discouraged. Paul was discouraged. We get discouraged. And Paul wasn't just persecuted um, from his Jewish brothers. But the text goes on. You know, Paul, so Saul escapes to Jerusalem, uh, verse 26. And when he got there, you know, and you can, you, you got to think here for a second. In, in the trajectory of the book of Acts, Jerusalem was the place, it was kind of the headquarters for the new Christian church, right? That's where it started. That's where all these people were. That's where sort of the, the apostles were. And um, it's tough to know exactly what Paul was thinking, but you could try to imagine Right, he's going back now. He's going, you know, to to use you know to, to the mecca of Christianity, if we could say it like that. Um, and maybe he's looking for welcome, for a safe place. He's probably looking for support. You know, maybe he's looking to be able to talk to somebody. But verse twenty six, when he gets there, he attempts to join the disciples. He goes up to meet the church, and they don't want to have anything to do with him. 
You see that? They were all afraid of him. They didn't believe he was a disciple. This is messed up. I mean, it's understandable. Right? Saul left Jerusalem in order to persecute the church, to imprison and kill Christians. And now he's coming back and now he's one of us? I'm a little suspicious, aren't you? Right? I mean, if you're one of the Christians in Jerusalem, this is understandable. Like, their hesitation, we, can, we understand it. But it's still messed up. Like, it's still, this is broken. This shouldn't be this way. Unfortunately, though, this is the pain and the drama of life. And you got to think, like, for Saul, he's stuck. Right? The Jews hated him. The Christians didn't trust him. He's got this desire to serve Jesus. He's got this call from God on his life. He's beginning to share his faith. People are following Jesus. And now, it's like discouragement is coming from every angle. You know, and the text sort of glosses over this, but I mean, you've got to realize, like, something's going on here. This is messed up, and you wonder how it would affect Paul. I mean, maybe he would have been attempt, you know, maybe he would have tempted to ch- just to chuck it. Right? Have you ever felt that way? You just throw his hands up at the church and say, look, I'm out of here. Really? Is this how you're going to treat me? Seriously. Well, God's obviously got his hand. I'm, I'm just going to leave, and I'm going to go start my own thing down the road. Right? How often does that happen? I think so much in our lives makes us want to give up. Right? You put in all the work and then you get misunderstood. Right? Someone takes it the wrong way. This happens at work. I guarantee you it's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. You know? I guarantee you this is going to happen to some of you. Right? All this work. You maybe you get you got a plan and all of a sudden something happens where Maybe it's a surprise, and he or she doesn't know, and then you're trying to work it so you don't give out the surprise, but then you get kind of short because you want the questions to stop, and then they they keep pushing, and all of a sudden, and then there's a blow-up, and now the surprise that you had planned for your Valentine's Day to show your love for someone else, and you're in a fight. Makes you want to throw up your hands and just say, forget it, right? How many times? Man, it happens. It happens. I can tell you, too, from my own personal experience with church. I had started going to church. I had just become a Christian. And I'd started going to church. I was nervous. I'd never been. I'd been in church a long time. And I started going to this church. And then I got into a conflict with somebody. And I just stopped going. And I was, I was bummed. Because I, I thought, like, well, I mean, I really want to be here, but... I don't want to have to face this. And I just thought, you know, I guess I'm just not supposed to go to church after all. And so I stopped going. That's just how it is sometimes, right? This is how people think. This is how we think, how we react. Now, was that the right reaction for me? No. But that's what I did. I mean, this is what happens. Because I just thought, like, you know, what could I do? So again, I think we can all identify here with Saul. Discouragement is a darkness that happens even to the best of people. 
even the guy who's going to become the Apostle Paul. So if it was true for him, it's going to be true for us. Now, what's the answer? It's our second point. Our second point. Discouragement's darkness passes with the rise of relationships. Darkness passes with the rise of relationships. So into this gap that existed between Saul and the church, God put Barnabas. God put Barnabas. Look at verse 27. So they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Man, this is Barnabas. Barnabas was the man of the hour. He was that person that God put in the gap to bring reconciliation and to bring encouragement. Barnabas actually was a nickname. And the last time in Acts that we saw Barnabas was back in Acts chapter 4. In Acts 4.36, his real name was Joseph. Let me read this to you, Acts 4.36. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So Barnabas was a part of the church. He was called the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. And so, um, and that's exactly what he gave to Saul. He gave Saul encouragement. He lived up to his name, right? Let's think for a second. What does encouragement mean? Let me give you a couple of definitions. It means to lift another's spirits, to comfort, or to embolden another in belief or in course of action. Right? I like that. Because you've got kind of the two sides of it. On the one hand, it's, it's, it's to provide comfort and lifting of the spirits. On the other hand, it's to embolden someone. It's to give courage, right? To encourage someone is to give them courage. And so how did Barnabas encourage Saul? Well, I mean, first, it's interesting because he took a chance and reached out. Okay, he reached out to Saul. There's no indication in the text that Barnabas was in Damascus when Saul was there. Okay? So we don't see that. So Barnabas must have, Barnabas must have bucked the trend of the Jerusalem church and reached out. So when the whole church was afraid and was distancing themselves from, from, from Saul, Barnabas decides to take his life into his own hands, really. Barnabas had the courage to actually reach out and give Saul a chance. So the rest are afraid. Barnabas risks his life, meets with Saul, and then hears his story. And so Barnabas reached out to Saul. Second thing is, Barnabas then stood up for Saul. Right? He stood up for Saul. He took him and brought him to the apostles and then didn't say, all right, Saul, tell him your story. He stood up for Saul and said, look, I am going to testify on Saul's behalf. I am convinced, and I'm going to put my own reputation on the line, and I am going to stand up for Saul. Barnabas also believed in Saul. He gave the details of Saul's story and convinced the apostles to believe it. Right? So again, it wasn't just, 
So here are the facts. Decide for yourself. It was you got to realize that God is in this man's life. He convinced them that Saul had the Holy Spirit, that he was indeed a Christian. And then Barnabas affirmed Saul's ministry. He gave affirmation to Saul's ministry. He put himself on record defending and testifying to the authenticity of Saul's ministry. How at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And that's what we need, isn't it? When we're discouraged, when you're discouraged, we need a Barnabas. Right? We need someone who will take a chance on us. Someone who will reach out and build a relationship with us. Someone who will stand up for us, right? Who will believe in us. Someone who will come and just affirm what they see God doing in our lives. And how do you feel when you get that kind of love from somebody? feel encouraged, right? You feel like your spirits get lifted up. You feel bolder. And again, going back to my own story, when I stopped going to church, God used a Barnabas in my own life. I felt like I didn't belong at this church. I was new. This other person I had an issue with, you know, they'd been there for a long time. But God used a friend of mine who just said to me, you know what? You're not going to church because of her, are you? You're going to church because of God. Don't let her keep you away. And when he said that, the minute he said that, I knew it was right. I knew it was right. And so I went back, and my relationship with God began to flourish even more. Like he emboldened me to do the right thing. He, he lifted my spirits. He changed my perspective. And so we all need a Barnabas when we get discouraged. That's what we need. We need somebody in our lives who can do for us what Barnabas did for Saul, who will stand up for us, who will testify on our behalf, who will see what God is doing in our lives and affirm us. And realize, though, that the best Barnabas will also tell you things that you need to hear. Okay? If you want a son of encouragement or a daughter of encouragement in your life, there are times when, I guess we could say it this way, if he or she has the backbone and the character to stand up for you, then he or she will also have the backbone and character to stand up to you. Okay? And we need that. We need that. All of us need that. We need somebody in our lives who will tell us the truth. Okay? It's possible that there may be someone in your life that you are irritated with, that you're frustrated with, and they may be acting like a Barnabas in your life. They may be trying to tell you what God is trying to get you to hear. And I just, I love the fact that Barnabas is called the son of encouragement, that that's what his name means, right? His name is not encouragement. It's the son of encouragement. And I like this because it shows us that Barnabas wasn't operating out of his own strength. Okay. If Barnabas was the son, then who's the father? Right. Think about that. It's God, right? God. 
Second uh, Corinthians chapter one is a wonderful passage on encouragement. If you get discouraged, boy, there, I don't know there's a better place to go than Second Corinthians one. This is what Paul says, and I just wonder. Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so comfort comes from God. Barnabas got his encouragement, his comfort from God, from the Father. And then he became the son of encouragement, giving encouragement to Saul. And so God ultimately is the source of our comfort. And he shows. If you want to know how has God comforted you? Boy, there's a big list at the top of that list, right? Think about the mountain of the way God encourages us. At the top of that mountain is the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And you need to realize that in the midst of your discouragement, you can look up. You can think about a God who has himself cared so much about the way that you have been discouraged that he himself came to earth and gave his life so that you could receive courage. So that someone could look at you and say, I affirm you. I love you. I am here with you in the midst of your encouragement, or in the midst of your discouragement. I am with you, present. I died for you, and I now live in you. And I want to share with you the comfort and the encouragement that comes from me. And that's our Savior. And then look how Paul later expresses his own situations of discouragement. This is again 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 and 9. It says this, For we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. There you have the Apostle Paul saying, I wish I was dead. It got so bad. I was so depressed that I despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It's like when discouragement sort of presses down and we feel the weight of it. I heard one pastor say this, and I loved it. I never forgot it. He said, when you feel the weight on your shoulders of life, you feel the discouragement weighing you down. He said, think about it as the thumb of God pushing you down to your knees to look up to him. Go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to remind you of the cross, that he could lead you even through death into resurrection. Barnabas provided this comfort to Saul. 
Barnabas stood in the gap. And when the rest of the church wasn't able to receive Saul, Barnabas did. Barnabas went and was the hands and feet, the hug, the understanding look, the affirmation of Jesus to Saul. He can be that. Jesus can be that for you. But we need that from each other to deal with our discouragement. So discouragement's darkness passes with the rise of relationships, these sorts of encouraging relationships. Our last point is that as the light of relationships rise, we then share our light with others. Okay, as the light of relationships rise, we share our light with others. The result for Saul was huge. Verse 28, so... He went in and out among them at Jerusalem. What that means is reconciliation. They received him. The sort of going out and coming in meant this was now Paul's headquarters. It was a safe base for him. He would go in and out. He was part of the family now. And so Barnabas brought healing and reconciliation at a time where I'm not sure that we can underestimate the value, the critical nature of the timing there. If that didn't happen, who knows? We would have had... The church in Jerusalem and then the church somewhere else. We would have had a split in the church right off the bat. And so Barnabas' courage, his encouragement, it strengthened Saul. I mean, do you realize what this meant? Saul becomes Paul. Paul wrote 13 out of the 27 letters in the New Testament. 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. That's numbers-wise, it's over half the New Testament, almost half, um, the New Testament written by Paul. Again, who knows what would have happened if Barnabas hadn't stood in the gap, if Barnabas hadn't come alongside and in a relationship encouraged Paul. And you know what? This is true for just about everybody in the scriptures. King David had Jonathan, Moses had Aaron. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had each other, right? Time and time and time again. Nobody does anything for God's kingdom on their own. You just can't. You just can't. And God hasn't made it that way. And so for us, how do we encourage other people like Barnabas, right? How can we treat other people in the way and give people strength and encouragement the way Barnabas did? Well, I mean, first we need to be encouraged by God, right? That's where it starts. And again, this is that whole resolution to love our neighbors, right? In order to love our neighbors and bless them with our faith, we need to be experiencing something real, you know? And you're not gonna be able to give encouragement to others if you don't feel encouragement. So you want to press deeply into God. Right? And you can do that with others, which we'll talk about here in a second. But so how do you encourage others? Just practical things. Pray for them. Pray for people. That can be a source of encouragement. And then, this is big, look and see what God is doing in their life. Okay, what do you see that shows the fruit of God's Spirit? Right? Everybody's got problems, everybody struggles, but what do you see that actually reflects God's image? 
what do you see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control? What are those things do you see in their lives? Look for these things. How is God using them in the lives of other people? Okay? So you pray for them, you look and you see these things. Then third, tell them. Tell them what you see going on in their lives. Tell them what you see God doing in their lives. Tell them ways that they remind you of God. Tell them things that they think or feel that are exactly the way God thinks and feels. Right? Tell them how you've seen them working in other people. Man, if you do that, this will give them courage. It will encourage them. It'll make them feel known. It'll make them feel appreciated, loved, useful, needed. I mean, that's incredible. The last time someone did that for you, how did it make you feel? Right? You have a chance to then share that with someone else. You could make somebody else feel that good. Man, what a privilege. What a privilege that God would use you. So pray for them. See what God's doing in their life. Tell them what you see God doing in their life. And then, you know what? Pursue God together with them. Okay, pursue God together with them. So you want to talk about life and God. Talk about the challenges. Pray together. Have a conversation. What do you think? Does the Bible say anything about this situation? Right? Oh, it says this. How does that apply to our lives? You know, go through that process. When you do that, you will be a son or daughter of encouragement. We'll call you Barnabas. If you do it enough, develop a reputation. We'll call you whatever you want. If you do that, we'll yeah, call you, yeah, I mean, sorry. <clears throat> you will be a son or a daughter who gives courage to others. Even just this last week, I had someone, um, one of our leaders called me and said, you know, um, I would like to get together just so that we can pray together because honestly, lately, when I pray, nothing's happening. So we prayed together and the Spirit descended on us and filled us up. There are times when you need to be praying with others, not just by yourself. Same thing's true with Bible study. If you feel like, don't feel guilty if you get more out of praying with other people or studying the Bible with other people than on your own. Okay, don't feel guilty about that because you know what? God made us that way. He made us for community. And so if that's your experience, then press in and grab somebody and pray together. Come to the prayer meeting tomorrow night. Join a community group. That's what, these, that's what our community groups are for. These small groups that meet during the week so that we all can encourage each other. I talked to someone who said this week that in the past they were going through, just a few months ago, they were going through a time of extreme discouragement. And at that time, this is what they said, at that time we were having to borrow the hope of others. We had no hope. But the people around us had hope, and we just borrowed theirs. Man, that's just real life. This is why we so desperately need each other. 
And what's amazing, here's what's, here's what's really amazing and totally exciting is that when we're doing this together as a church family, this is exactly what our neighbors also need. It's the same thing. You pray for them. You see what God is doing in their life. And you tell them. Right? You tell them, hey, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, not, not pushing what I believe on you, but the, the God that I believe in, I think things the same way that you do about this. Right? He would agree with you. Just, just so you know, I think that's great. Um, I don't know if anybody ever told you that you remind me of God, but in this particular part of your life and the way you think or feel about this issue, you remind me, about, you remind me of my God. That's encouraging. I had, um, this is yesterday, um, so we got a list of folks that we're praying for that will come to church on Easter, and um, we're talking to one of our neighbors, and um, he just asked me how things were going in the church, and, um, and, uh, and I said, yeah, you know what, we're doing this thing where we're hoping that we can experience God to the place where it really makes a difference in our lives, and I'm seeing that happen. And he said, oh, really, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, um, I've seen people that are feeling much closer to God. They feel and sense his presence. Um, people are hungering to actually read the scriptures more. Um, and they're feeling more peace and more contentment. It's pretty amazing and it's fun. And, um, and he said, yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. And, um, and I just threw out, I was like, yeah, you know, we're doing this Easter thing and um, you ought to come to church on Easter. You know, it's a great time to come to church. And I've talked to him before and I was totally, I just thought, what the heck. You know what he said? He said, you know what? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll come to church on Easter. It's like, man, wait, wait, this is two months early. I wasn't supposed to ask him until April, right? I'm supposed to be praying for him. I am. And so, you know, I, I mean, have that. Like, that's this, the spirit, what Mike Herberg preached on. God is working in the world, right? He's helping people realize that he's at work. They know him. They recognize that he's there. And, and they're attracted to Jesus. And so, again, I just want to encourage you with that. But so as we encourage each other, it's going to teach us how then we can encourage our neighbors. Um, I saw the King's Speech this week, right? Man, what an amazing movie. What an amazing movie. Um, Colin Firth plays King George VI. The king has all the tools to be a great king, except he's afflicted with the speech stammer from the age of five. And so he cannot speak publicly, and that's... Incredibly important at that time because radio was now coming into, into vogue, and so that was part of the deal of being a king. And so he gets a speech therapist, right? Jeffrey Rush is the speech therapist in the movie. And the speech therapist is the ultimate Barnabas. He is the ultimate Barnabas in the movie. Not only does he work with the king and teach him the techniques to, for better speaking, to deal with the stammering, but it seems to me that more often than not, it's the friendship that gets built. It's the relationship that the king builds with the speech therapist that at times makes an even greater difference in his life because this king is really just insecure and he sees the speech therapist there and it's like a security blanket. It's like the warmth of encouragement personified in a, you know, in a friend. I mean, that's what we're talking about. That's how God treats us. You know, it's grace and truth. It's grace and truth, both standing up for us, but also standing up to us. Are you ready for that?
Are you ready to receive that from him and then to give it to other people? Because let me tell you, it starts right after the service. It starts right after the service. That is the point when you can decide that you are going to be a son or a daughter of encouragement. And I'd invite you to do that with somebody before you leave today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the way that you give us courage. You have dealt with the worst of our darkness. You've dealt with our sin. You have comforted us with the good news of Jesus. You have made us able to have hope. You've given us life. You have caused us to walk now with a totally different mindset. You've taken care of eternity for us. In a thousand years, we will have spent 900 years in your presence. That's amazing, Lord. That gives us strength and encouragement. And we pray, God, we pray that you would so fill us with your encouragement that we would encourage each other. Make it so, Lord, for your sake and for the sake of San Diego. In Jesus' name, amen.